From the golden age of radio, you're listening to the amazing world of radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to the amazing world of radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, we continue our series of radio to screen to radio adaptations with another episode of the Screen Guild Theater. And this one features a spinoff of Fibber, McGee, and Molly, The Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve began as a supporting character on the Fibber, McGee, and Molly radio program, but became very popular in his own right. Harold Perry began appearing in as Gildersleeve in movies even before the Gildersleeve radio program launched, let alone the Gildersleeve movies. Now, three of these were big uh, compilation films with other famous stars of radio in them. Two were with Fibber McGee and Molly, as well as Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Uh, It's like the old-time radio version of The Avengers for comedy. And another film where he played Mayor Gildersleeve, uh, along with uh, people like Bob Burns and Jerry Colonna, who were, of course, big uh, old-time radio comedy stars uh, in their own rights. And then he had a couple where he appeared as Gildersleeve where it's kind of random. That was the case with the movie Seven Days Leave, which was released along with the Gildersleeve movie set. And when I watched it, I was like, wait, why was Gildersleeve in this movie? What was the point of it? But he was so popular uh, in the early 40s that you just give him a random part as as the great Gildersleeve. No, you don't give Harold Perry a random part with a random character. You have Harold Perry play the great Gildersleeve and just hope it makes sense. But then once Gildersleeve hit the radio and was uh, a big success there, it was inevitable that he would come to film and there would be four great Gildersleeve films made. The Screen Guild Theater presenting today is an adaptation of the second of those films, Gildersleeve's Bad Day, which was originally released in 1943. The original air date on this uh, program is August the 13th, 1945. Let's go ahead and take a listen. Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in RKO Radio Pictures' delightful comedy, Gildersleeve's Bad Day. It stars Harold Perry in his famous screen and radio character, The Great Gildersleeve, supported by his well-known cast of characters. The Lady Esther Screen Guild players in Gildersleeve's Bad Day. eventually to all good men and true, there comes now to certain citizens of Summerfield, the call. Got a summons for you. Jury duty. Tomorrow morning. Judge Hooker's court. It's the case of the state versus Louis Barton, who was caught while robbing the First National Bank. 
And the sum of Louis' faithful pals, the impending trial spells double trouble. They see the afternoon paper, well. They get Louis the whole front place. Did he know they're going to get him towed? Unless he do something. Like what? Well, where like this letter I took up today. Listen, Toad, get a load of this. Dear sir, if you can persuade yourself and the other jury that Louis Barton is not guilty, there will be $1,000 in United States currency delivered to you immediately after Louis is sprung. Signed, Anonymous. Oh, going to send it to one of the jurors, huh? Well, Matt, Matt. Yeah, but which one? Suppose we pick the wrong character, and he's ethical, but instead of putting us where Louis is. They will pick the wrong one. I got the jury list right here. Let's see. This is Stevie. No, no, he owns the drugstore. He probably don't need the dope. Oh. Is Harry Potter? Yeah, no. He won't be taking her money. The paper says he's getting Harry tonight. Oh. Uh, now, here's a name. Here's a name. Trust Martin T. Gilbert, please. That's one thing. Are you kidding? Yes, what it says is not Martin Keith. Don't go no further, Al. I heard enough. Well, any guy with a label like that, I'll bet eight to one that guy's our kidney. Besides, they found poison in the food. Enough poison to kill everybody in the house. And they proved an innocent man had been wrongly convicted. What's the day of that? Mr. Gilsby, do you want this bile? Uh, yes, please, Bertie. Then there's the case of State versus Minnie Hoffberger, Boston, 1923. Minnie was accused of throwing her husband out of a third-story window. She lit on a pile of coal. Out of coal. That's beside the point, Bertie. It was a pile of coal. I mean, the egg, Miss Gilsey. Oh, the egg. <laughs> About four minutes, Bertie. If you can do it in three, so much the better. Morning, Uncle Mort. Well, good morning, Leroy. Now, Bertie, to continue. A letter for you, Uncle. It was in the mailbox. Letter? Thank you, my boy. Let's see. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. The defendant was on the stand undergoing cross-examination. Isn't it true that you discussed the possibility of murdering your husband? Huh? Well, isn't it? Just a guilty by him married. Answer the question. Answer the question, yes or no? No, no, sir. Your witness, sir. Mine? Uh, <laughs> I mean, she may step down. Mr. Gilsey, by him even up. Well, you're not going to be the district attorney in this trial. You're just going to be a juror. Be quiet, Leo. Be quiet. Besides, what's more important than a juror? Especially one with my legal background. Well, I guess the background's pretty important when all you have to do is sit. Yep. <laughs> That's beside the point, Leroy. And furthermore... Somebody's talking outside. Uncle Morris, Judge Hooker and your sir, the ride group, are waiting out front. They are? Uh, Bertie, never mind the eggs. Just pour me a slice of toast. I mean, slice me a cup of coffee. Oh, forget it. I'll go along as I am. In your bathroom? I promise I'd be ready with it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Silly me. My coat's in the hall. Here, Marjorie, I'll leave this robe with you. Good idea, Uncle Morse. I plan to send it to the queen today. Oh, I'll have to rush. Goodbye, everybody. And wish me luck. <laughs> Why should we have to wish him luck? Uncle Morse not on trial. No, but the trial isn't over yet. Now, sir, your name is Louis Barton. Well, uh... I object. What for object? Now, look, Gildersleeve, you're just a juror. Your Honor, he was asking a leading question. Ah, in Section 364 of the Penal Code, it specifically states... Quiet, Rock Morton, and sit down. Oh, good. Prosecutor will continue. Well, thank you, Your Honor. Now then, will the defendant please tell the court his name? My name's Louis Barton. 
And your occupation? Explosive engineer. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see. And, uh, of course, that accounts for your possession of a bottle of nitroglycerin when arrested in the alley back of the First National Bank on the night of... I object, Your Honor, this is too much. Is this juror acting as defense counsel, too? If it pleases, Your Honor. But, Your Honor, it's not been proved that the defendant had nitroglycerin in his possession. And the bottle in question has not been introduced as evidence. According to Section 300... Back, Morton, Gildersleeve, you will return to your seat and listen to the evidence, or this court will find you in contempt. But, Horace, Your Honor... down! Yes, sir. The district attorney will proceed. The hanging of innocent man. Uncle Mort will be on the jury very long. Not if the jury has anything to say about it. <laughs> Gee, I hope they'll be free soon, Marge. We need him to help us raise money for the canteen fund. Mm-hmm. Uncle's done better than anyone. He got Mrs. Hastings to pledge a thousand dollars. He's going to send it over tomorrow. Gee, that's well a thousand bucks. Only what we raised at the dance and on the program and our home front drive. Home front drive? What's that? That was Mary Ellen's idea. You see, you go to the butcher and the grocer and people like that, and you say, we think you ought to give 10% of all the business you get from us this week. You can raise a lot of money that way. Why don't you just get a gun? <laughs> you don't be serious for charity. Here, help me take this money for the cleaners. Uncle Mort's blue suit and his brown suit and his cutaway. He hasn't worn that since who was elected. <laughs> well, you can't tell. The Republicans might win again someday. <laughs> his sport coat, his gray suit. Hey, that gray suit was just cleaned last week. Oh, Roy, don't be petty. Another cleaning won't hurt it a bit. Smoking jacket, bathrobe. Oh, hold it, Mark. Something just dropped out of the bathrobe pocket. Look, a letter. I wonder... Don't you dare open that letter, Leroy. Yeah, I wouldn't open it. It's open already. <laughs> Your Uncle Walt was wearing his robe at breakfast. Me, Roy. Well, after all, it might be important that he might have forgotten it in the rush and being tied up in the jury. He might want us to... <clears throat> Holy smoke. What's the matter? Get him out of this. If you can persuade this from the other jurors that Louis Barton is not guilty, see, somebody's trying to bribe Uncle Walt. Why, oh, that's ridiculous. No, it's anonymous. <laughs> A thousand or a million, it wouldn't do any good. And Leroy, you can just forget that letter. Uncle Mort is as honest as the day is long. He'll be the first one to set that crook to jail. Sure he will, Mark. Sure he will. I hope. I'm sorry, gentlemen, but I must be honest with myself. I find I'm still forced to vote not guilty. Oh, guilty. Let's leave here 11 to 1 for conviction. After all, man, the evidence. The evidence is purely circumstantial. I'll leave it to Mr. Peavy here. Oh, let's say that. Your man was caught right there in the bank. That makes no difference. Anybody might walk into a bank, even me. This fellow is simply a victim of circumstances. Oh, I think that he's already served three terms for robbery. This has nothing to do with the case, Stevie. Remember, there were no fingerprints. There was no loot found on his person. No corpus delecta. Oh, Gildersleeve, you don't know what you're talking about. We're 11 to 1. Now vote for conviction and let's get out of here. Mr. Potter, this is a matter of justice. That's what I say, huh? That's what I say, huh? 
Maybe you can get somebody else to take care of your drugstore. Yes, but what about me? I was married last night. What about my wife? <laughs> Anybody else got any questions? <laughs> Any decision yet? Uh, not yet, Bailiff. We're still tied up. It's midnight, gents. You gonna stay out all night? We will if Jeff asleep has his way. After two, gents. You gonna be much longer? Well, I wouldn't say too much longer, Bailiff. I think we're beginning to see eye to eye. Hello? Hey? Yeah, this is Jack Hooker. What's the idea, Bailiff? It's three in the morning. Oh, you see, sir. All right, all right. I'll get dressed and come over. Gentlemen of the jury, have you arrived at a verdict? We have, Your Honor. We find the defendant not guilty. Did you say not guilty? Mm-hmm. That's right, Judge. Very well. The defendant is discharged. Thank you, Your Honor. Thanks, Judge. Gentlemen, I don't have to tell you my opinion of this verdict. How 12 men could so utterly disregard We want to convict him, Judge, but Gildersleeve convinced us of a reasonable doubt. Oh, Gildersleeve. Well, I'm convinced of a reasonable doubt myself. Oh, are you, Horace? Are you really? Yes, a reasonable doubt of my own sanity. In ever having let you serve as a juror in this court. So, gentlemen, jury is dismissed. Well, we done it, Louis. We done it, all right. Oh, what do you mean? Told me we sprung you. We got down to that red. Huh? Yeah, sure, sure. That guy on the jury killed his sleep. We got to him hard plan. <laughs> That's why he held out. Yeah, that why it took us so long. No, didn't. Well, boys, that was swell. And your pal Louis ain't gonna. Put... Where'd you get the grand? Oh, I was just promising to him. Yeah, sure, sure. We never had no real intention. Hey, now wait a minute. You say you promised the guy a grand? Yeah. Then the guy gets a grand. Louis, are you nuts? No, I'm ethical. The guy did like you told him, didn't he? He kept his part of the deal, didn't he? So we keep ours. Louis Putney ain't no wealth. But we ain't got the grand. So we get a grand. It's early yet, and I know just the spot. But, Louie, you just got out of one rap. You heard me. I said, Louie, Barton ain't no welcher. Now, pipe down, both of you, and get out the pool. The second act of the Lady Esther Screen Guild play will follow in a moment. Now, a word from Lady Esther. Women who have tried Lady Esther's bridal pink face powder tell me it's the most useful and flattering shade I've ever achieved. They tell me they can actually see the years slip away, can see themselves become ten years younger looking. I'd like you to try bridal pink for the first time on one sheet only. Compare it with any shade you've ever used. See the difference for yourself. See the fresh, young look it gives your skin. The soft, warm look. Like the blush of a bride's young cheek. Lady Esther Bridal Paint is intensely flattered almost every skin it touches. Whether your hair is long, brown, auburn, or black, Bridal Paint will instantly make you look more vital and alive, more youthful. 
Yes, and more daringly romantic. Lady Esther Face Powder is made differently. It's blown by the tremendous force and speed of hurricanes. And it's so highly pulverized that it's light and cool as a summer breeze on your face. It clings four hours and longer, completely covering tiny lines and blemishes. And the color is so vibrant, so alive. Even your eyes light up. Your lips look more entrancing. Ask your dealer for Lady Esther's Bridal Pink Face Powder. Accept no other powder, no other shade. So remember, only Lady Esther Bridal Pink can give you that radiant look, that happy, confident look, that look of a woman in love. presents the second act of Gildersleeve's Bad Day, starring Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. Well, it's later the same morning, considerably later, and glowing with a little sleep and a righteous sense of beauty well done. Block Borton's skill to sleeve comes down to breakfast. Well, good morning, everybody. Beautiful morning. Good morning, Leroy. Good morning. And Marjorie, my dear, how are you this morning? I'm not quite sure. The papers say you set that criminal free last night. Uh-huh. Good to know that justice isn't always blind. I like to think. Uncle Morton, how could you? Yes, I... How could I what? A leading citizen, upright and respected, doing an awful thing like that. What are you talking about? Now you saw, Uncle. We saw the letter. Letter? What letter? What in the world are you... Go ahead, Marge. Show it to him. Here it is, Uncle Morris. It is in the pocket of your bathrobe. Go on, read it. Yes, sir. Read it. Yes, sir. If you can persuade yourself and the other jurors... But this is mine. I never saw this letter. Are you kidding? You opened it. You mean yesterday? That's right. I did open it. But I never read it. Don't you remember, my dear? The carpool came by and I left it a right. That's true, Marge. You did. Oh, come on. You mean you never made a deal with this, with this person? Of course not. I held out for a quiddle because I honestly believed the defendant was in it. Oh, Uncle Ward, I'm so glad. Dear idea. You might at least have given me the benefit of the doubt. Just because you found that letter. Gee, we're sorry, Uncle Ward. It hurt us, too. Yeah, well, next time, don't be so quick to judge. Excuse me. Yes, Bertie? Dan just left his envelope for you. Well, thank you, Bertie. And you children needn't look so suspicious. I'll open it right now. Holy smoke! Hey! $10, $100 And a note. Here is the money as promised. Oh, Uncle Mort. Oh, I believe you. No, he wouldn't make a deal, not him. <laughs> Now, just a moment, you two. You don't really think that... Oh, this is awful. Fantastic. It's the most... Wait a minute. I know. Yes, how do we? It's from Mrs. Hastings for the canteen fund. She said she sent over a thousand today. Oh, that's it. Oh, Uncle Mel, I'm so sorry. Hold on to your hat. Here we go again. Leroy, this is no time for jokes. Once and for all, I want to plainly understood that I had nothing whatever to do with those crooks. We're really sorry. We apologize. Well, accept it. That leaves me only one thing to do. What? 
take this money over to Judge Zucker's place. Isn't he chairman of the fund? I shouldn't even be talking to you this morning. After the way you acted last night... Now, Horace, that's not the right sort of attitude. I brought you a contribution to the canteen fund. A thousand dollars for Mrs. Hastings. Here you are. Oh? Well, in that case, uh... Sorry, I've been protected, Gilda. Just get me any sleep and all. Sure, Horace, it's your old age. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Put this money in the safe, and I'll write you a receipt. Yeah, Horace, uh, safe. Wouldn't it be better in the bank? Why? Well, I mean, that safe doesn't look very rugged to me. Oh, you understand, Gildy? Guaranteed to be burglar approved. Got a thousand of my own money in here. Oh. Here we are. I just put this envelope in my, um... In this... Hey, that's funny. Oh? What's the matter, Horace? Anything wrong? 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 Why, you simpering idiot, I've been robbed! <laughs> Honestly, TV, you should have seen I thought Horace was going to blow a fuse. <laughs> I'll have another cup of coffee, please. And they swore off together. Yeah. Uh, were there any clues, Miss Jones? Clues? Oh, lots of fingerprints. But they were all Judge Hooker's. <laughs> I suggested they take Horace in on suspicion. Yeah, that's when he really got mad. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Well, uh, all it takes that money pretty easy. I understand the judge kept the record of all the numbers of the bills. Oh, really? Oh, it's only natural. There were big bills, I hear. Ten one hundred dollar notes. Ten one hundred dollars. Good afternoon, Mr. Pinky. Oh, hello, Mrs. Hayes. Um, Mr. Gildersleeve, how lucky for me. I was just going out to your place for this check. That's yes. I'll tell her. 
Sure, a swell idea coming back to get that door again. The positive Pat Joe Gildersleeve brought it back here, Al. Oh, yeah, yeah. After we left the grand of his pocket, he came from over here. And we looked through the windows, and there he is, handing it over to the children. See, this seems like a lot of waste to get for Well, we want that safe once, we can do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting to be a habit, boy. Yeah, watch your step, though. There's a copper sitting out in front in the prowl car. The judge must ask for police protection. Yeah, he is it. I can hear that copper snoring clean up his ears. Yeah, okay. Let's get in there. Hey, hey, what's that? What? Somebody coming out of that window. Here, look. It's him. The same guy. Yeah. What's so guilty? Pretty smart plant, all right. He turns over the door and then comes back and lifts it. Only ain't gonna get away with it. You know what are we gonna do? Take him for a ride. But we ain't got no car. So we get a car. You handle that show, leave the rest to me. Hello. Hello. Hello, headquarters. It's Judge Hooker. Yeah, I had a bad dream a few minutes ago. Woke me up and I went into the den to get a book and No, there was no police car out in front. If there was, I wouldn't be calling you. Who cares what happened to your old police car? Somebody robbed my safe again. Yes, keep your hands on the wheel, Patcho. Remember, there's three of us sitting back up there. Yeah, three of us. And the gun? <laughs> uh, where are you making me drive to, Jim? Oh, to a nice head spot in the country, pal. Uh, is this trip absolutely necessary? <laughs> you know, Al, I think we use the suicide routine on him. Uh, suicide? Yeah. You don't look too well anyway. Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Oh. This must be a police car. Now, where's that interesting? Be on the lookout for police car 61. Police car 61. Stolen from in front of Judge Hooker's home. <laughs> and we could tell him where it is, too, you know? I hate that laugh. Uh, hey, that's right. We could. We really could. Calling all cars. Calling hey, all cars. Hey, turn it off, Pat, so I heard enough. Be on the lookout for police car 61. Did you hear what I said? Police car 61. Hey, you! Huh? Oh, turn it off. Yes, sir. Just switch on the dashboard. Yes, sir, I see it. It's got it right here. All cars. <laughs> now, they don't talk to us, and we don't talk to them. Yeah, of course not. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am Throckmorton T. Gildersleeve, driving to Part 61. Hey, is that guy not singing on the way to his funeral? Singing on the way to my funeral. I am Throckmorton T. Gildersleeve, and I'm being taken for a ride. I am Throckmorton T. Gildersleeve, and soon I will be dead. That's why I sent for you. I'll tune in Part 61 on the radio again. Now listen, Judge. Singing on the way to my own funeral, singing on the way to my grave. Uh, you know, fellas, when the police find out that you robbed Judge Hooker's house two nights in a row, it's going to be pretty tough for you, Barton. Louis Barton. And how do you figure they'll find out, Mr. Gildersleeve? Gildersleeve. Oh, they'll find out all right. It's that stern. 
Thanks. And it won't be long now unless somebody helps me. Yeah, but a voice like that, it won't be. You know, well, it's kind of funny him singing like that. I think I'd better take a look at the... Sure, he's got that microphone on. Hey! Hey, that'll be him every word we said! Stop the car, you! Stop the car! All right, brother, I will! Stop! Don't turn that wheel down! I was here in the hospital. Oh, Uncle, you're wonderful. You're terrific, Uncle. Huh? <laughs> well, it wasn't really anything at all. By the way, Horace, how are the three crooks? They'll live to do a nice long stretch. Great. Uncle Mort, I'll bet you voted to let that guy go just so you could round up his pal. Of course he did. I knew it all along. Well. <laughs> How about it, Doc Morton? Was that it? Well, everyone seems to be agreed. <laughs> and you know me, Horace. I always go along with the majority. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. I didn't care for the movie version of Gildersleeve's Bad Day, but this radio version is actually pretty good. And this is a case where the radio version becomes better than the film version by just making the story focused, because it's got to fit into a half hour. And I think with the film version of Gildersleeve's Bad Day, the problem was that there were just so many little extraneous plots that weren't all that interesting or funny. Core plot of Gildersleeve's Bad Day, that he goes on a jury in a mood to acquit or to look at the evidence more seriously in a way that will acquit the defense, but also at the same time gets an offer of a bribe, I think is a pretty uh, clever idea. I also like the acquitted criminal's idea that he's got to steal from Judge Hooker as it's the only honorable thing to do. Also, I like that they added the crooks having Gildersleeve turn off the receiver. Because in the movie, they had the receiver and the transmitter buttons. And Gildersleeve turns off the receiver like on his own volition since they are broadcasting him as a wanted uh, man. Having the criminals do it uh, makes it work better and has his move look uh, a lot more clever because he kind of improvises it out of something that somebody else did. And let's go ahead and be clear that Gildersleeve makes the 
really bold, brash decision to crash the car that a lot of people, like even in the adventure movies and radio programs, uh, did not opt to do. Great Gildersleeve is not a character who faces life-threatening peril with nothing left to lose. And I quite like the idea of taking a character like that and finding out what he'll do. And then finding out that there are some guys who look harmless enough, but you really don't want to push too hard or too far because you don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how the idea that the Great Yoldersleeve, if facing death and without his family present, to have to worry about and protect. He will take you out. He will end you, even if it means dying in the process. This is the type of thing you would never know was in The Great Gildersleeve if you've not seen the movies or listened to the adaptation. One other thing that was kind of funny was in the courtroom when he was objecting. He was, of course, entirely out of line in terms of objecting as a juror. However, his objections, on the other hand, kind of had a point. I've watched a gentleman who has critiqued movies with legal scenes for their lack of legal realism. And one thing that he comes back to time and time again are the things that Gildersleeve mentioned. He'll watch these legal movies and he'll be constantly saying things like, they didn't lay the foundation for this uh, question. They are referring to an exhibit, but they haven't introduced it into evidence. Things that the Great Gildersleeve pulled out in this movie. I mean, th this is the one movie that gets that right. Everybody in the courtroom acting not only like Gildersleeve shouldn't be objecting, but that he doesn't know what he's talking about. When in reality, he shouldn't be objecting, but he's also kind of correct. Also, I love them getting the radio cast to perform this. In particular, Earl Ross as Judge Hooker is just perfect. I didn't think the film version was bad, but it wasn't Judge Hooker. That voice and Judge Hooker just go together perfectly. And of course, I should mention that this is a nice little opportunity for CBS. The Great Gildersleeve was an NBC program. So, getting to effectively do a, for all intents and purposes, episode of The Great Gildersleeve on CBS is a nice chance to capture some listeners. Of course, Fibber, McGee, and Molly was also an NBC program, but the uh, story that uh, Screen Guild Theater adapted w didn't include any of the really iconic Wistful Vista characters. Here they get the whole Gildersleeve household, they get Judge Hooker, they get Peavy. There's a deeper bench of supporting characters for Summerfield, but doubtless many Gildersleeve fans turn to CBS to listen to this episode. The Gildersleeve radio program wouldn't actually be back until September the 3rd, as it was on its summer vacation. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be back next Wednesday with another radio to screen to radio adaptation. If you do have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.